Hello and welcome to this episode of Understanding Macbeth. My name is Gemma Nemeth and in this podcast we go through some of the key scenes from the play, translating the language, identifying literary techniques and useful quotes and analysing the characters, structure and themes of the play in order to help you prepare for your exams. If you want to access additional episodes and other exclusive content, you can find more information about the full online Macbeth course at www.advanceacademic.co.uk forward slash Macbeth hyphen course. And if you listen until the end of today's episode, you will get a discount code for 20% off. Now let's get started with today's episode. Act 1, Scene 3. Act 1, Scene 3 starts with the witches discussing what they've been doing. The second witch says she's been killing pigs, and the first witch talks about a sailor she is going to curse. She says, Though his bark cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed. Which means she can't make the ship disappear and kill the sailor outright, but she can make the journey dangerous and cause him harm. This shows the audience that there are limitations to the powers of the witches. They can't just get whatever they want. This is important to note because fate is a key theme of the play, and there is debate as to who is most responsible for what happens. Is it mostly the witches for tantalising Macbeth with the prophecy? Is it mostly Macbeth and his ambition? Or is it mostly Lady Macbeth and her manipulation? This quote suggests that because the witches have limited power, they did not have complete control over Macbeth and his actions, so they aren't solely to blame, and some responsibility definitely lies with Macbeth as well. Then we get Macbeth's first appearance on stage when he enters with Banquo. His first line is, So foul and fair a day I have not seen, which should hopefully sound familiar. It is echoing what the witches said in Act 1, fair is foul and foul is fair. So our main character's first line sounds to the audience like a repetition of something the witches said earlier. There are a couple of interesting things you can say about this. Firstly, it highlights the extent of the witches' influence over Macbeth already, perhaps due to some enchantments they've already done before they meet him. Secondly, it connects the characters of Macbeth and the witches in the minds of the audience. So it's aligning Macbeth with dark forces because he sounds similar to characters that we already know are evil. Banquo then sees the three witches and says, What are these so withered and so wild in their attire that look not like the inhabitants of the earth? This is emphasising the otherness of the witches, so this is relevant for the supernatural theme. Although different interpretations of the play portray the witches in diverse ways, in the original text of the play, they're presented as looking very otherworldly, sort of like hags. Banquo even mentions that they have beards as well. The witches then give Macbeth the all-important prophecy. They greet him as the Thane of Glams, which he is already. Thane of Cawdor, which Duncan has just declared him, but he doesn't know it yet, and the future king. We have a moment of dramatic irony here, because the audience knows that Macbeth is about to be made Thane of Cawdor, but he and Banquo don't know that yet. This helps to create some suspense for the audience, because they know already that part of the prophecy is true, and are waiting for the moment when Macbeth will find out too. Notice that it's quite a few lines before Macbeth speaks again, However, Banquo gives us some clues about Macbeth's reaction. He immediately says, Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? So he's sort of pointing out to the audience that Macbeth is looking shocked and afraid. He then asks to the witches, 
are ye fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly you show? So essentially he's asking, are you imaginary, or are you really as you seem? A good quote for the themes of supernatural, and also appearance versus reality. He then goes on to say that they have told Macbeth such grand prophecies that he seems wrapped with awe, meaning that he seems totally enthralled or captivated by the witches and what they've told him. This is important because the word wrapped is going to be used to describe Macbeth again later in the scene. So Shakespeare has helpfully informed us through the character of Banquo that Macbeth seems shocked, enthralled and afraid. What this tells us is that Macbeth believes the prophecy almost instantly. If he didn't, he wouldn't have had such a strong reaction. So he's very ready to accept what the witches say, even though they're very clearly supernatural creatures, and therefore he should think of them as being untrustworthy and evil. This might suggest that there are some underlying flaws in his character that were already there before he ever met the witches. And perhaps their prophecy is just the catalyst that brings those qualities out. Perhaps if he were less ambitious, the prophecy would not have affected him so much. Banquo then asks the witches to tell him his future. He says, If you can look and look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me. Here Shakespeare is using metaphor, comparing Macbeth and Banquo's futures to grain that could either grow really well or not grow at all. The next line of Banquo shows an important contrast between his character and Macbeth's. He says, Speak then to me, who beg nor fear your favours nor your hate. So unlike Macbeth, who is enthralled by the witch's prophecies and afraid of them, Banquo is saying he doesn't have strong feelings about them either way. He isn't afraid of them, and he's also not going to plead with them. This could be because he doesn't trust them, or just that he has a strong enough personality to not be affected too deeply by what they say. This would be a very useful quote to learn to highlight the contrast between the two characters. Banquo is what's called a dramatic foil for Macbeth. A dramatic foil is a character who has the opposite personality trait to another character, and by being the opposite, emphasises the other character's personality trait even more. So, for example, you might know the children's character Horrid Henry. Horrid Henry is a very naughty child, but he has a brother called Perfect Peter, who is a very well-behaved child. The contrast between them makes Horrid Henry seem even more naughty in comparison to Perfect Peter. So, Perfect Peter technically acts as a foil for Horrid Henry. In the same way, Banquo's calm and cautious response to the witches helps to highlight Macbeth's foolishness for being so quick to believe them. Banquo is about to get his own prophecy, but as we will see, he chooses not to act on it, unlike Macbeth. So, they both get given prophecies about future power, but Macbeth makes the immoral choice to commit murder, whereas Banquo makes the sensible decision to ignore the prophecy that is made about him. The witches then give Banquo his prophecy. They say he will be lesser than Macbeth and greater, not so happy, yet much happier. Notice again the deliberately confusing way that this is phrased. The witches are using equivocation to disguise the true meaning of their words. They then say, Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none, meaning that he will beget or father kings, but he won't ever be one himself. Macbeth then finally speaks up and tries to stop the witches from leaving because he wants to know more. He uses lots of imperatives as if he's commanding them, 
stay you imperfect speakers, tell me more, and also speak, I charge you. He speaks as if he's in control of the witches, but then the stage direction says, witches vanish, which shows that really he has no power over them at all. They have all the power and they do as they please. No sooner have the witches disappeared, then Ross and Angus find Macbeth and Banquo and deliver the news that Macbeth is to be the new Thane of Cawdor. Banquo is now more shocked. He exclaims, what, can the devil speak true? He realises that the witches were right about part of the prophecy. Macbeth asks how he can be made Thane of Cawdor when the Thane of Cawdor is still alive. He says, the Thane of Cawdor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? The robes are a metaphor for the title he is being given, suggesting that it doesn't really belong to him. And it's important to note this clothing symbolism because it will occur throughout the play and is used to represent the idea that the titles Macbeth gains don't rightfully belong to him. They don't fit him properly, just like borrowed robes. Angus explains that the Thane of Cawdor is about to be executed and his title given to Macbeth. Macbeth becomes more obsessed with the prophecy now since the first part has been proven true. He asks Banquo if, now that he realises they spoke the truth, does he not hope his children will be kings, as they promised? Banquo's response is another key moment that highlights his character as a dramatic foil for Macbeth. He says, Oftentimes, to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths, win us with honest trifles to portray us in deepest consequence. What he is saying here is that sometimes the agents of evil tell us the truth to gain our trust, especially with small or less significant things, so that they can then deceive us on the much bigger or more important things later. So he's showing himself to be a very wise character here, and is still not as taken in by the prophecy as Macbeth is. In Macbeth's aside, we see the start of his downfall and his very conflicted thoughts. He says, This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. Notice that this line uses antithesis again, Opposite concepts of ill and good are opposite ends of one line. This again sounds like when the witches said fair is foul and foul is fair. So again the audience is hearing Macbeth start to sound more and more like the witches, so we can really see their influence starting to take its hold on him. He then says the prophecy surely can't be bad because so far it's resulted in the truth. However, he says it can't be good because the suggestion that he will be king already has him thinking terrible thoughts about murdering Duncan. Banquo then says, look how our partners wrapped. There's that word again, wrapped. This repetition helps to emphasise just how fascinated and enthralled Macbeth is by the prophecy. Macbeth then realises that if it is his If it is his fate to be king, then he doesn't have to worry about doing anything, because it will just happen on its own. He says, If chance will have me king, why chance may crown me without my stir? This is a great quote to learn for the themes of fate and ambition, and for the characterisation of Macbeth. At this point, he's had quite a sensible response to his situation. He finds the thought of murdering Duncan too awful to imagine, and decides not to act at all, and to just let the future unfold. Of course, it won't be long before his ambition, and Lady Macbeth's, gets in the way of this. We then get more clothing symbolism when Banquo says, New honours come upon him like our strange garments, cleave not to their moulds but with the aid of use. 
So he's comparing Macbeth's new title to clothes that are new and so don't fit properly. And they will only fit properly after some time has passed and they become more moulded to his body. So again, this clothing symbolism is suggesting that the titles that Macbeth gains, they don't fit him properly, they're not rightfully his, and that he doesn't deserve them. Lastly, note the final interaction in this scene between Macbeth and Banquo. Macbeth asks that when they have had more time to think about these matters, that they should meet and talk freely about them. He says, let us speak our free hearts each to other. This is a useful quote to know if you were talking about the presentation of Banquo or his relationship to Macbeth, as it shows that at the beginning of the play, Macbeth really trusts and respects Banquo as his loyal friend. You could also use this quote to highlight Macbeth's character transformation as the play progresses, because later on in the play, he has Banquo murdered, which is obviously a strong contrast to this moment in the play, and shows how much Macbeth has become corrupted by the power that he gains. Thank you for listening to Understanding Macbeth. I hope this was helpful for you in deepening your understanding of the play and getting you ready for your exams. If you want to access additional episodes and other exclusive content, you can find more information about the full online Macbeth course at www.advanceacademic.co.uk forward slash Macbeth hyphen course. And as a podcast listener, you can get 20% off any of the course packages by quoting the code MacbethPod. That's M-A-C-B-E-T-H-P-O-D. You can also reach out to me there about private tuition, revision support, and my practice paper marking service. Until next time, goodbye and happy studying.